Good morning, church family. Our text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. And as you open your Bibles to the passage, I wanted to point out that we are literally just weeks away from finishing up our study of the book of Ephesians. I will admit, I am starting to feel maybe a little bit sentimental, as today will be the second to last time I will be preaching from this book for what is likely a very, very, very long time. Because tomorrow my family starts our summer vacation. However, I can confidently say that you are all in great hands, as Alex and Ricardo will be handling the preaching duties for the next couple weeks. Nevertheless, I so look forward to returning to the pulpit and what I hope to be the conclusion of our 33-week study of the book of Ephesians together on August 23rd. So please buckle up, enjoy the rest of this wonderful, and I pray, edifying ride through the book of Ephesians. As for today, we are in week four of our study pertaining to the whole armor of God. And again this morning, we will be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, and focusing on the shield of faith. Now, if you've missed any of the previous three weeks concerning the whole armor of God, briefly, let me get you caught up. In week one, we looked at the belt of truth, or the objective, world-altering truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, if we as Christians want to stand firm in the ways of the Lord and avoid falling for the falsehoods of the devil, then we must gird to ourselves daily the truth of the gospel as revealed in God's most holy word. And then in week two, we considered the breastplate of righteousness or our practical righteousness, meaning that when we become new creations in Christ, we naturally then desire to live out our new identity in Christ, which is good news, Christian, because our godly living or our practical righteousness, it actually steers us away from the evil entrapments of the devil. Thus, because of that, it is vital for the Christian to pursue a life of holiness or to press on in our practical righteousness. And finally, last week, we examined the readiness given by the gospel of peace, or the fact that the gospel naturally produces in us a God-given state of peace for the Christian, founded in the fact that we as Christians have been reconciled back to God through eternity. Thus, we can take on whatever the world has to throw our way, because we know ultimately we will be raised with Christ, and there is everlasting peace in that. Which leads us then to the shield of faith. Now it is no secret how vital the concept of faith is to the Christian. But make no mistake, faith is not only vital to the Christian. Faith, it is vital to every person on this earth. As every person alive puts their faith into something every day. I read a joke this week about a group of engineering professors who were all, going, all sitting on a plane waiting for it to take off. When the captain of the plane got on the intercom and announced that as a surprise, the entire plane that the professors would be riding on was designed and built by their current engineering students. Understandably, all the professors immediately began panicking, desperately scrambling to get off the plane as fast as they could, all except one 
who was calmly sitting in his seat. The other professors urged him, abandon the plane, save yourself, to which he replied, relax. I've watched these students grow from freshmen who could barely figure out Calc 1 to budding young engineers. I've seen their lab work, I've checked their math, and knowing the skills that they have developed in their time here as students, I have all the faith in the world that this plane will never get off the ground. <laughs> as you can see, church, our faith matters, but so does the content of our faith, which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the main points of the sermon this morning. Our thesis statement this morning is this. Christian, the content of our faith must be based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if so, God will protect us from the arrows of the devil. Christian, the content of our faith, it must be based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if so, God will protect us from the arrows of the devil. Again, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, which reads, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we as a church body can come together and worship the one and only true God. And it is because of you, God, you have given us the grace we needed to have faith in you, to trust in you as the only God of the universe. You have opened our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, we are eternally grateful. Thus, in the here and now, Lord, through the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, to praying to, to you, to building each other up as a church body, let our faith continue to grow in you. Father, I pray that the eyes of these dear ones be opened this morning, their ears be opened, their heart be softened to receive the beauty of your word. And Father, help my lisping, stammering tongue. I pray I be bold this morning. I pray I speak truth, that I be humble this morning, and I preach faithfully your word to your flock. Do your work this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, taking up the shield of faith it is only possible when one trusts in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Taking up the shield of faith, it is only possible when one trusts in Jesus Christ. And again, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And we'll begin this morning by considering the imagery of the shield, of the shield of faith. Now, when people hear the word shield, they often get a picture in their mind. And maybe you're visualizing right now a picture of a heater shield or the type of shield that medieval knights used 
Or if you're like my sons, Theo and Simon, you are picturing a circular shield right now, like one that Captain America would use. However, the shield in which Paul has in mind here is not a small shield. It is not a circular shield, but instead it is the kind of shield that Roman foot soldiers were able to stand behind. It was a shield that was shaped like a door, and it was big. It would measure anywhere between three and five feet tall and two to three feet wide. And it would often be made of wood, and leather would be laid over top of the wood, and the edges of the shield, it would be covered in metal. And due to the size of this shield, it was a critical piece of armor for the Roman foot soldier to possess, because it allowed them to stand behind it completely and maintain safety even when arrows were being shot at them or spears were being thrown at them. In essence, if you wanted to survive a battle, then you needed to keep your shield up in all circumstances. Additionally, though, Paul certainly had to have had the Old Testament in mind here as well. And why do I say that? Because throughout the Old Testament, we consistently see the language of God being described as a shield for his people. For example, Psalm 3 says, You, O Lord, are a shield around me. Psalm 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Psalm 33 says, The Lord, he is our help and our shield. And Psalm 84 says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. So what Paul is saying here, as Ian Duguid explains, is that faith protects God's people from Satan's attacks because faith takes hold of the power and the protection of God himself. Throughout the Old Testament, it is God, not faith, that is repeatedly described as our shield. But faith then becomes our shield in Paul's imagery here because faith is the means by which we rely on God for refuge. It is how we cling and find protection in God during times of difficulty and distress. Remember, church, the armor of God, this is God's armor, and God is described here as a shield for his people. As Psalm 91 puts it, God will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge, and his faithfulness is a shield. Quite simply then, those who place their faith and their trust in God and in his gospel, they are covered and protected by God, verse 16, from the flaming darts of the evil one. Now I want to make sure you heard the nuance there in that last statement. I said that those who place their faith and trust in God and in his gospel, they are covered and protected by God from the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, church, Paul is not communicating here that in order to receive the covering or protection of God, we just need to demonstrate some kind of steadfast faith in whatever we want. Remember, church, the content of our faith, it matters. And unfortunately, we live in a society that believes and affirms that the mere essence of some type of faith in one's life, that that is admirable. For example, author Brian Hines wrote, Faith is wonderful. Faith is all we need to be spiritual. Just faith. So we shouldn't have faith in anything other than pure, naked, empty faith. Now, I'm not sure how one can have faith in pure, naked, empty faith. But do you really think that kind of faith is pleasing to God? 
I read a study this week conducted in 2018 that found that nearly 85% of the world's population identifies as possessing faith within some religious sect or some religious subgroup. For example, 1.8 billion people in the world profess to be faithful Muslims. 1.1 billion people in the world profess to be faithful Hindus. 500 million people in the world profess to be faithful Buddhists, and 400 million people in the world profess their faith in what is called folk or traditional religions. In total, these four categories make up roughly half the world's population. And let me tell you, Christian, many of these aforementioned people, their faith, it is strong, like really strong, like really, really, really strong. Don't believe me? Muslims abstain from eating food or drinking liquid from dawn to sunset for an entire month. I mean, how many Christians do you know that get hangry, angry due to being hungry if the pastor preaches too long on Sunday? Or Buddhists, some Buddhists meditate over four hours a day. How many Christians do you know that think that praying ten minutes a day is too much of an effort? Followers of other religious subgroups out there take part in self-flagellation, being pierced with metal hooks, and eating the flesh of the dead. Thus, you can't tell me these people aren't extremely faithful, extremely devout, and steadfast in their beliefs. But here is the problem for these individuals. And I want to say this as lovingly and compassionately as possible. But faith in and of itself doesn't do anything if the object or the content of that faith is incorrect. Someone can be the most faithful or devout disciple of Buddha or Muhammad or any of the pantheon of the Hindu gods, and yet they will still be condemned to hell forever because reconciliation back to God is not based on the strength of one's faith. It is based on the object or the content of one's faith. What we believe, church, it matters. Author and pastor Bob Diffenball, he shared this story about a bank robber who had been sentenced to life for his many crimes. But while he was in jail awaiting his execution, he made a deal with the jailer in order to escape his punishment. And the deal was this. The robber was to pretend to die of sickness in his cell, and then the jailer would have him buried. But the jailer would come back a couple hours later and dig him up. And the two would split all the bank robber's cash that he had stolen over the years. And all went as planned. The bank robber faked his death. The officers came, placed the robber in a casket with another body, since that was the protocol of the prison to conserve work and money. And the casket was then buried later that day. Now the robber was elated at the ease of his escape. But while waiting to be dug up, his curiosity got the better of him. And he pulled back the veil to see who was in the coffin with him. To his horror, he discovered it was the body of the jailer who was supposed to dig him up. Who we put our faith in to save us, church, it matters. 
Thus, before we can even consider the protection and the power that the shield of faith offers, we must first be sure that the content of our faith, the object of our faith, the person in whom we place our faith in to save us is Jesus Christ. Because faith in Buddha, faith in Muhammad, faith in the Pope, faith in science, faith in our own good works, none of them offer the protection of God. None of them offer the shield of God, and certainly none of them offer eternal salvation with God. The only saving faith that does is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, Acts 16. Not everyone who showcases faith in some religion will be saved. Not everyone who accepts all religions will be saved. Not everyone who practices some form of spirituality will be saved. It is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The protection of God, the shield of God, and salvation with God, it is offered exclusively through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One way, one truth, one life, and faith in anything else, and I mean anything else, it only leads to damnation. Thus, church, we must get the content, we must get the object, and we must get the person of our faith correct if we hope to have the shield of faith. And the only faith that saves, it is that Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, 1 Peter 3. Thus the content of our faith must be in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. The content of our faith must be in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Which brings us to point number two. The shield of faith will protect the Christian from flaming darts shot at them by the evil one. The shield of faith will protect the Christian from the flaming darts shot at them by the evil one. Now, when I was describing the physical attributes of the shield used by the Roman foot soldier, I mentioned that it was covered in leather. But what I did not mention was that before soldiers would go out into battle, they would routinely soak their shields into water so that the leather would get covered in water and would get saturated with the water. Why? Well, because during these battles, the enemy would not only shoot arrows at them, but they would also light the tips of these arrows on fire. So just imagine being in battle, getting shot at by arrows that are on fire, and then having one of those arrows hit your shield, and your shield catches on fire. Naturally, what are you going to do? You're going to throw your shield on the ground. And that is where, or that is exactly where the enemy wants you. That is exactly what the enemy wants to have happen, because now you have no shield. But if the shield was soaked in water first, and the animal hide or the leather was saturated, then when those fire-tipped arrows would hit the shield, the leather, it would extinguish them. And the shield wouldn't catch on fire, and the soldier could hold on to the shield and would continue to be protected during the battle. So when Paul says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith, the faith of the shield of faith here, in which Paul is talking about, it is the Christian's resolute, their unwavering, unflinching, steadfast trust in the gospel and in the faithfulness of God himself. Or as Tony Morita puts it, we have a shield to protect us from the darts of the enemy when we put on Christ and believe in the promises of God. 
And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, promises? And what are these wonderful promises of God that we can put our unwavering, unflinching, and steadfast faith into? And my response would be, church, just consider the book of Ephesians. That it's through faith we were saved. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That it's through faith we have access to God. Ephesians 3, 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And that it's through faith Christ dwells in us. Ephesians 3, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. These are the promises of God to his people that that we can trust in forever, church. And because of that, Paul tells his readers, in all circumstances, we must take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, we can believe in and trust in and have resolute, unwavering, unflinching faith in the faithfulness of our God. Why, Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And holding on to this unflinching, unwavering, unshakable faith in the promises of God, Christian, it is critical within this spiritual battle. Why? Remember Paul's metaphor. Satan wants you to put your shield down. He wants you to put down that in unflinching trust in God. He wants you, Christian, to flinch. Now you may be sitting there wondering, well, what exactly are these flaming darts of the evil one that he uses us then, or that he uses to cause us to flinch? And really, they could be any type of temptation that he may use to try to cause you to sin. Things like lying or anger or thievery or corrupt talk and slander and the like. However, one of the most common temptations you see Satan use, and the one I want to focus on today, is the temptation of doubt. As Satan loves to try to hit Christians with these flaming arrows of doubt in hopes of causing the Christian to doubt the goodness of God, in hopes of causing the Christian to doubt the word of God, in hopes of causing the Christian to doubt the supernatural power of God, causing the Christian to doubt the grace of God. Thus, the question is, Christian, when doubt comes into your mind out of nowhere like a flaming arrow shot into your brain and into your core, where do you go to extinguish these flames? In Wycliffe's Handbook of Preaching and Preachers, there's a story in there about G. Campbell Morgan, who had some success as a preacher by the time he was only 19 years old. But then he was attacked by doubts about the Bible. The writings of various scientists and agnostics disturbed him, authors like Charles Darwin or Thomas Huxley. And as he read their books and listened to their debates, Morgan became more and more perplexed. So what did he do? He canceled all of his preaching engagements, put all his books in a cupboard, and locked the door. Then he went to the bookstore and bought a brand new Bible. He said to himself, I am no longer sure that this book is what my father claims it to be, the Word of God. But of this I am sure, if it be the very word of God, and if I come to it with an unbiased, impartial, and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul that it is God's very word. The result? That Bible found me. 
Morgan said. And his new assurance of this in 1883 gave him all the motivation he needed for his preaching and teaching ministry as he devoted himself to the study and preaching of God's word from there on out. As Albert Barnes put it, it is not by our own strength we can put the arrows of Satan out. And if we have not faith in God, we are wholly defenseless. But for the Christian, the one who has faith in God, we have a shield that we can turn in any direction on which we may receive the arrow of Satan and by which it may be put out. But you see, too often today, Christians, they may have legitimate questions, or they may have some confusion, or they may be struggling with a season of doubt. And yet, in order to find the truth and strengthen their faith and extinguish these flaming, art, these flaming arrows of the devil, where do they go? Where do they turn? Do they go to the very word of God? No, they go to the evolutionists. They go to the history channel. They go to the internet. They go to the depraved, fallen, and sinful world, the world who despises their God for answers. And the result of this is more questions, more doubt, and more skepticism toward the things of God. And really, Christian, it is foolish. I mean, if you wanted to learn about George Washington and you had the opportunity to hear from him personally, would you say, nope, I'd, I'd instead rather listen to someone some 220 years after his death tell me about his life? No, you would earnestly go to President Washington for the truth about his life. And that is the point, Christian. We have the very word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thus, if you have, if you have questions, Christian, if you have doubts, if you have confusion, if your trust in the goodness of God is flinching, then go to the very word of God. And your God, he is going to show up in his word, unequivocally showcasing his faithfulness to you, unquestionably displaying his plan of redemption to you, and undeniably proclaiming his glories to you. Thus, when the arrows of the evil one are being shot in your direction and inflaming your mind with doubt, do not run to the world. Run to the living God as the only one who can protect you from and extinguish the flaming darts of that evil one. Simply trust in God for who he is, thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward, and he will protect you until the day, Christian, your faith becomes sight. He will protect you, Christian, until the day your faith becomes sight. As we close this morning, I'll begin by addressing the non-Christian who is here first. Non-Christian, first off, thank you so much for being here this morning, as it is truly an honor to share God's word with you. Now, I began the sermon this morning talking about how important the content or the subject of one's faith is, that no matter how sincere or how devout one is in their faith, it is still possible for them to be sincerely wrong. And we all know this. In this world, there are right answers and there are wrong answers. Similarly, similarly there are beliefs that are true and beliefs that are false. Therefore, if you hope 
to spend eternity alive and redeemed and glorified in the presence of your holy God, then you best believe in the only one who ever conquered the grave and defeated sin and death for those who trust in him. And that person is Jesus Christ, one way, one truth, and the only one who offers eternal life. And how did he do that? By literally breaking into the world as God and being born as a man under the very law of God. Thus, Jesus Christ, he is truly God and he is truly man. And Jesus Christ, he dwelt among us. He lived among us and was tempted by sin just like any of us. However, unlike us, he never sinned. Jesus Christ, he never broke the law of God, not once. Instead, he was perfect and righteous in all that he did. And because of his great love for the children of God and his faithfulness to the sovereign will of God, Jesus Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice, meaning he bore the wrath that we as sinners deserve for our sin. And in our place, Jesus Christ, he was crushed and he was crucified on a cross and died for the sins of his children. But being that Jesus Christ is God, and being that he is perfect and never sinned, sin and death, they had no claim over him. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death eternally for those who believe in him. Therefore, non-Christian, if you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin and reconcile you back to God forever, today will be the day that you are saved. Romans 4 says that the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you believe in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who justifies the ungodly. And your faith, no matter how small, no matter how imperfect, its content, its object, the person in who you trust, Jesus Christ, he is perfect, he is the truth, and there is eternal power in that person of Jesus Christ. Thus your faith will be counted before God as righteousness. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and eternally you will be saved. And to the Christian who is here today, we concluded point number two with the idea that when doubt does begin to creep into our minds concerning the things of God, we are not to run to the world for help or for answers, but instead we are to run to the very word of God. And as we will discuss here, we must also run to him in prayer. And Christian, do not be prideful about this this morning, as it doesn't matter whether you have been walking with the Lord for 50 years or for 50 seconds, doubt can still creep into our minds. Thus, in moments like these, Christians, how do we run to the Lord then in prayer? What does it look like in these moments of weakness, in these moments of embarrassment, to run to the Lord in prayer and ultimately ask him to increase our faith? And the answer to that question, church, it's humbly. We are to humbly go to the Lord and ask him to increase our faith. In Mark chapter 9, 
After Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, a crowd came to him. And someone from the crowd said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So Jesus asked them to bring the boy to him. And once the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and the boy started rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus seems to be highlighting here the power of faith. As he says in verse 23, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father in the story hears this and cries out, I believe, and that he believes Jesus can heal his son. And yet it is obvious to anyone who reads the story that this father's faith, it is not a strong faith. It is certainly not a perfect faith. And yet he honestly and humbly goes to Christ and says, I believe, help my unbelief. Or as the contemporary English version puts it, I do have faith, please help me to have even more. And what does Christ do? Does he say, beat it, pal, your faith is weak? Does he say, go increase your faith somewhere else and don't come back till it's strong? Does he say, I can't heal your son because your faith is too weak? No, Jesus heals the man's honest and humble faith, and he casts the demon out of the man's son. You see, brother Christian, sister Christian, you do not need to put a facade on with your God. There are no disguises with God. There are no masks with God or charades with God, because God already knows every single one of your doubts and questions and concerns. Thus, if you want to increase your faith, if you want to increase your trust in God, then humbly go to the Lord with a sincere heart and ask him, help my unbelief. And just as Christ responded to the Father and did not cast him away, even though his faith wasn't perfect, Christ will respond to you, Christian, even in your imperfect faith. To paraphrase Alexander McLaren, God does not lecture us into faith, but by his grace, he continues to bless us into it. Thus, if you want your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ to grow, then never, ever, ever stop humbly looking to Jesus Christ, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to look to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that our faith never fears from the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we live in a world that says that we can believe in whatever we want and be saved, that we just need to have faith in something and we can be saved, and we know those are all lies. 
And Lord, we stand in a battle where Satan shoots arrows of doubt at us, arrows that tell us you are not good, God, and arrows that tell us you are not perfect and just and wise, and we know those are all lies as well. Thus I pray that when the world and Satan throw the temptations of doubt and heresy our way, Lord, we do not run to the world for answers, but instead we run to you. Help us then, Lord, to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And you, God, you are eternal, providing eternal life exclusively through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus let our unwavering faith in the gospel will be the shield in which we find refuge until the day our faith becomes sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us as your church grow every day in our faith, in the faith, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is by grace that we can have faith, and it is by your grace that we can grow more consistently in faith, that we can trust you more and more each day. Father, help our unbelief. Help us in times when we don't trust you as the God of the universe. Help us at times when we don't believe that all your ways are perfect and good. Help our unbelief and our weak faith, Lord. Help us to grow in a further trust in you. Father, when doubt comes into our minds, let us not flee to the world. Let us run boldly to your word. Let us run boldly in prayer to you. As you will keep us, Lord. You will protect us. You will shield us from all these attacks until the day we are with you through eternity. To God be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen.